0: This morning, I want to tell the story. I want to tell the story of the resurrection. And I believe that as I tell this story, that Jesus Christ's love for you will be impregnated in your heart. And my prayer is that you will never be the same. So many stories start with once upon a time, but the story of the resurrection Or Easter, as the world calls it, starts in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned. As a result of their sin, they handed their God-given authority over to Lucifer, (coughs) the archangel, who fell like lightning from heaven. Afterwards, centuries passed, and the wickedness of mankind became great in the earth. Every imagination of human thinking was only evil continually. The iniquity iniquity that Adam and Eve released in the world had taken its toll. The human race was familiar with evil in every aspect, while the knowledge of good was slowly fading into the archives of history. But God had a plan. God had a plan to crush Satan's head and take back the authority he had originally given to Adam and Eve. His plan was that the seed of woman, a seed not contaminated with Adam's sinful nature, would crush Satan's head. That seed was Jesus, God's only begotten son. The battle to set mankind free began in earnest... In the tiny land of Judea, some 2,000 years ago. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, controversy swirled around him like a cyclone. It threatened to alter the religious landscape of his day. The Sanhedrin were alarmed, change didn't set well with them. With Passover fast approaching, Jesus knew that his time on earth was drawing to a close. He ate his last supper with his 12 disciples, and then they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Along the way, Jesus instructed his disciples concerning his death and the spiritual meaning behind it. However, they understood little of what he told them. As they arrived in the garden, Jesus knew that he had to pray. Darkness closed on him like a suffocating blanket. Time after time, Jesus had spoken of his death, even identifying the type of death it would be. Now that the time had come, death stood in front of him, leering, impatient, and foreboding. It was not the physical death that Jesus dreaded most, in spite of the horrendous suffering it would afflict on his body, no, no. What Jesus shrank from was the spiritual death that awaited him. The cup offered to him by his father was filled with the sins of the world, past, present, and future. A cup so evil, so ghastly, that his righteous soul recoiled at the thought. Agony was written all over Jesus' face as he stumbled on into the night, about a stone's throw away from Peter, James, and John. He threw himself on the ground and began to travail. Abba, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Inside, Jesus was being ripped in two, two directions. On one hand, he could see lost humanity who had chosen to drink from the cup of sin. Their lives battered by the curse that sin had released in the earth. Compassion for Adam's race Pulled on Jesus' heart until he felt as though it would break apart. On the other hand, Jesus knew what it would mean to drink of that cup. Sin had never once touched his spirit. The shame and humiliation of sin had never tarnished his soul. He had never experienced the oppression of the spirit of infirmity crippling his human body with sickness or disease. Guilt had never interfered with his relationship with his heavenly father. Yet Jesus knew if he accepted the cup of iniquity, he would become the greatest sinner of all. He who knew no sin would become sin itself. Like the rest of Adam's race, he would come under the control of the ruler of darkness, his arch enemy, Satan himself. The idea was repulsive. His heart was crushed. At the very thought of it. The struggle was so severe that Jesus began to perspire from the intensity of the battle. He felt as though his life was being sucked from his body. He lay on the ground as though one dead. After a few minutes, Jesus stirred and finally forced himself to his knees. Turning his face heavenward, he let out a guttural cry. Adonai, Adonai, not my will. But your will be done. As soon as those heart-wrenching words left his lips, Jesus felt the hand of an angel rest upon his head. Somewhat invigorated, Jesus rose to his feet, but the battle was not over. He knew that much. He looked around to find the angel, but the angel had disappeared. Once again, Jesus fell on his knees and with his face to the ground wrestled in prayer. Abba, everything is possible for you. Take away this cup from me. The cup loomed before him, erupting with a stench of hell. Jesus could not find the strength to embrace it. Not yet. The warfare was taking its toll. Nevertheless, he began to affirm his submission to his father's will once again. The agony was unbearable. Sweat poured from his body like great clots of blood dropping upon the ground. No human could bear this kind of burden for long and continue to live. For the third time, Jesus prayed even more earnestly Is there no other way except I drink of this cup? If, if it is at all possible, Abba Father, Let this fatal hour pass from me. As Jesus lay on the ground, battered and exhausted, a tiny speck of light floated up from his spirit, illuminating his mind. I have come to take away the sins of the world. There is no other way, no alternative plan. Then he remembered what he had been taught about the sin offering from the book of the law. Not one goat, but two would be brought to the high priest. One was slain to atone for the sins and transgressions of the people and its blood sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. There Jehovah would view the blood of the sin offering and forgive their sins. However, there was also a second goat, the scapegoat. The high priest would lay hands on it and confess the sins of the people on its head. Then the scapegoat would be led away into the wilderness and loosed into a land not inhabited, carrying with it the sins of the people. Jesus recalled that the common practice was to tie a strip of red cloth to the scapegoat. According to the Jewish Talmud, this red strip would eventually turn white, signaling that the punishment for sins had been paid. Redemption had to be twofold. The justice of heaven satisfied by the sacrifice blood of an innocent lamb. But the battle for earth's authority had to be won in the wilderness in the bowels of hell itself. The originator of all sin, Satan himself, must be defeated in his own territory. Jesus knew that by paying the full penalty... For the sins of the whole world, Satan would no longer have legal right over mankind. And for that to happen, Jesus would have to suffer the fate of the damned and come out victorious. Jesus thought, Satan might be successful in bruising my heel through crucifixion, but in the end, I will crush his head. What a brilliant plan. The battle was over. Jesus had made his decision. It was as though the light of a thousand suns burst in Jesus' soul. The cup being offered to him might be filled with the curses of humanity in the beginning, but in the end, it would become a cup of blessing. Jesus jumped to his feet. Yes, yes, he would embrace the cup. Jesus lifted his hands to heaven and with a strong Clear voice declared, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, the fate of mankind was decided. Beings in heaven applauded, and Jehovah smiled as a single tear fell from his eye. The stillness that settled upon the Garden of Gethsemane reached Jesus' soul as strength flooded his emotions. He was ready. No even eager to face the worst Satan had to offer. He didn't have long to wait. Jesus could hear the scramble of numerous feet charging toward him. In the distance, amid pinpoints of lights, he could detect the babble of voices conversing in hushed tones. It wasn't long before Judas crashed into the clearing, followed by a band of soldiers carrying swords and clubs, along with temple guards sent from the high priest. Pharisees held lanterns and blazing torches. Jesus did not resist as they bound him and led him away. Jesus was questioned by Annas and Caiaphas and finally the Sanhedrin, but refused to answer question after question to their trumped-up charges. Frustration set in. Jesus remained silent, refusing to answer his accusers. Caiaphas Annoyed to the depths of his sanctimonious soul, finally shouted in Jesus' face, I demand in the name of the living God that you tell us whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Finally, an accusation Jesus was glad to answer. Yes, it is as you say. Jesus' face began to radiate with a heavenly glow. And in the future... You shall see me, the Son of Man, sitting on Jehovah's right hand in the place of power and coming back in the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas jerked back as though he had been slapped. Horrified, he tore his clothes and shouted, Blasphemy! Addressing the crowd of religious leaders, he bellowed, You've heard his blasphemy. What do you think now? A murmur swept through the congregation of religious elites. He deserves to be put to death. They all agreed as one. Shouts of guilty filled the early morning air as a religious court pronounced their verdict of death on the Lamb of God. While the sunrise begins, began spreading its kaleidoscope of radiance over the horizon and the blast of ram's horns punctuated the stillness of the early morning, the chief priest and the elders of the people held a consultation against Jesus to put him to death. Take him to the pletorium, Caiaphas ordered. He is guilty of blasphemy. This deceiver must be executed. As they marched back through the streets of Jerusalem toward the palace of Pontius Pilate, multitudes of curious seekers fell in behind the throng. Even though it was still early early in the morning, Word about Jesus' conviction and pending sentence had spread rapidly through the crowd. A follower of Jesus said, This is is the day Pilate releases a prisoner for us in honor of the Passover. He leaned closer to his companion. Don't worry, he will probably release Jesus. But Pilate did the unthinkable. Instead of releasing Jesus, he yielded to the cries of the angry mob that was whipped into a frenzy by the religious bigots. At the insistence of the throng, Pilate released Barabbas, a notorious prisoner who had been convicted of insurrection and murder. The decision came as no surprise to Jesus. Had he not come to set the prisoners free? After being sent to Herod and then back to Pilate, the procurator eventually gave in Because Pilate was afraid that a riot was about to break out, he finally took a basin of water and washed his hands in the presence of the crowd. I am not guilty nor bear any responsibility for this righteous man's blood. I find no fault in him. See to it yourselves. The people shouted back, His blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him. Turning to the soldiers, Pilate said, Chastise him. He motioned toward the surly mob, do as they demand, crucify him. As he made that pronouncement of Jesus' sentence, Pilate looked into Jesus' eyes, expecting to see fear, but instead he saw only pity and compassion. Pilate whirled around and disappeared into the judgment hall. The centurion led Jesus away to the courtyard of the palace where the whole battalion gathered around like an angry pack of hungry wolves. Two of the most calloused of the regiment picked up a cat of nine tails, a whip with each tail having a piece of metal or bone embedded in the end of it. Swirling the whips in the air, they practiced their technique by popping their weapons against the pavement a few times, times expecting to see the prisoner cringe. Jesus didn't move. The explosive sound of metal struck the cobblestones, but Jesus didn't so much as flinch. In fact, he hardly noticed what was about to happen. His mind was going over and over the prophet Isaiah's messianic prophecy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Part of man's redemption was about to take place. Sin had given Satan the legal right to inflict the bodies of mankind with every kind of sickness and disease imaginable. But because Jesus had never once disobeyed his father, sin and Satan had no power over his mortal body. Yet he willingly yielded his body to be afflicted to obtain healing for Adam's race. Love for mankind pulsated through every fiber of Jesus' being. He had come to do the Father's will, and the Father's will was to heal every sickness, disease, and infirmity. This was the price he must pay. Then the beating began. The soldiers were infuriated at Jesus' lack of fear, determined to break him The persecutors commenced with savage intensity. Each time the whip struck Jesus, the tormentors took great pain to drag the lethal instrument across Jesus' taunt back, shredding his flesh. The lashes had to be concentrated on the shoulders, arms, ribs, and down the spinal column. Use of the lash in those areas, protected by bone, was less likely to kill the prisoner than the soft flesh of the stomach or the kidney area. Jesus knew he would not die, not here. He would lay down his life at the proper time when redemption was complete and not before. The beating went on and on. With every lash, sensory nerves were exposed, creating excruciating pain. As the whip lacerated his flesh, instead of focusing on the agony Jesus pictured those who would believe on him in years to come, who would be redeemed from sickness and infirmities brought on by the curse, making healing available to those who were oppressed by Satan. At last, the centurion ordered the soldiers to stop. The soldiers had lacerated Jesus' body until he was covered with gaping wounds from head to toe. Chunks of flesh were torn from his shoulders, Back and legs where veins had been opened up and nerves exposed. Pools of blood gathered on the stones beneath Jesus' feet from his mangled body as innocent blood poured from the Lamb of God. Yet Jesus was more conscious of the feeling of love and compassion for his tormentors than the throbbing pain in his body. They wove a crown of thorns about two to three inches long, jammed it on Jesus' head. As they beat on the thorns with their staffs, some of the spikes broke off, penetrating Jesus' skull. Blood spurted everywhere. That just incited his tormentors all the more. Kneeling before him, they made sport of him chanting, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him. The mockers took turns pulling chucks of beard from his face along with patches of skin. They struck him on the head with a rod. Jesus spoke not a word, nor made an outcry of any sort. Finally, the soldiers grew weary of the sport. As a lamb led to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is dumb, so Jesus opened not his mouth, while the cruel agents of darkness led him away to be crucified. It was the third hour. The morning sun continued its steady climb up the apex of the cloudless sky, as though it were a day exactly like every other. But invisible beings were aware that this was no ordinary day. Hordes of demonic creatures, giddy with anticipation, swarmed around the drama, progressing toward the hill just outside the eastern wall of Jerusalem. Hosts of angels stood close by, positioned in a tight battle formation, ready... Should they be called on to intervene? The excruciating pain in Jesus' mangled body threatened to drive him into unconsciousness. Even so, when callous soldiers dropped the 75 pound crossbeam across his mutilated shoulders, he managed to remain upright. Jesus struggled valiantly to keep up with the per- procession, even though dehydration from loss of blood had drained his physical body of strength. However, when they approached the steep incline that led to the Ginneth Gate, he stumbled and lay under the weight of the crossbeam, unable to get up. Even the persistent slicing of the soldier's whips was not enough to force him to his feet. After a while, the impatient executioners jerked a large man from the crowd, forcing him to bear the weight of Jesus' burden. Even then... Jesus had to be half-dragged as he staggered the rest of the distance to the brow of the hill, finally collapsing at the foot of one of three cypress posts already anchored in the crown of the skull-like mound. As Jesus lay there awaiting his execution, he could hear the shrieking cries of the furious mob intermingled with quiet sobs coming from women who were some of his loyal followers. In the distance... The faint bleeding of hundreds of lambs could be heard that were also being carried to their place of death in the temple area. The time for the Passover sacrifice to be offered was fast approaching. Everything was on schedule for the final events that would once and for all bring atonement to mankind and seal redemption for the human race." Barely clinging to life, Jesus could detect masses of revolting creatures in the spirit realm goading the self-righteous mob until they had become a bloodthirsty den of hate, clamoring for the kill. They didn't have to wait long. Rome had perfected the art of crucifixion. Rough hands yanked Jesus' blood-stained robe and undergarments from his trembling body leaving him naked and humiliated before the gaping crowd. The next few moments were a blur of painful torture as soldiers jerked his arms out of a socket to line up with the holes already drilled in the crossbeam. The cold tips of seven-inch spikes pierced his wrists, severing nerves as the nails were pounded in place, sending waves of pain throughout the entire length of his extremities. To keep from passing out, Jesus turned his attention from the anguish in his body and focused his mind on the writings of the prophet Isaiah, who hundreds of years before had prophesied about this very moment. Surely he has borne our diseases, grief, and sickness, and carried our anguish, affliction, our pain, and our sorrow. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Even though the agony seemed unbearable, Jesus embraced it willingly. Love for all humanity so saturated Jesus' heart that he hardly felt his body yanked against the spikes impaled in his his wrists as soldiers grasped each side of the crossbeam, lifting it until the mortise fit snugly over the tenon, forming a cross, leaving his feet dangling loosely. As the executioner, "...positioned Jesus' right foot on top of the left, driving a third spike through both feet into the hardwood with a measured blow. combat Compassion overwhelmed Jesus as he observed the crowd milling around below. And out of the depths of two hearts, Father and Son, united as one came a cry from Jesus' lips that echoed across Golgotha's plain and down through the years and the ages to come father father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing for just a moment below the executioners and the crowd stood in in bewilderment the pronouncement from the mutilated man hanging before them was highly unusual There was no doubt this man was different. As high noon approached, the crowd noted something else was different. The light of the sun began to fade. And as the sixth hour drew near, darkness completely covered the whole land. The darkness blanketing the earth began to permeate Jesus' spirit. The hour had come to drink of the cup. In the blackness of that moment... The hand of God appeared in front of Jesus, bearing a vessel so vile and putrid that his righteous soul was repulsed. Everything in him wanted to turn away, but the love that throbbed in his bosom would not allow it. The sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, had been combined into one evil cup, and he who drank of it would become sin personified." Jesus knew that in the moment he partook of the contents, he would become sin. But Jesus had come down from the realm of glory to a er, sin-ravaged earth for this very purpose. As the father held the cup to Jesus' trembling lips, he readily allowed the full contents of it to flow into the pit of his being. It was done. There was no turning back. From then on, the court of justice would have its way. Inside, Jesus could feel the convulsing effects of sin, working death throughout his spirit and soul. The most devastating consequences became evident immediately. Separation. The glorious presence of his loving Heavenly Father departed, and in its place was a horrifying sense of impending punishment. Guilt, shame... Condemnation washed over Jesus' soul. He was lost and without Jehovah in this world. With a loud, gut-wrenching cry, Jesus lifted up his voice. Eli! Eli! Lama sabachthani! That haunting question pierced the darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the next hour, Jesus writhed in pain and torment as his soul agonized in his body fought for breath. His head lolled forward, causing his chin to rest against his chest. Cramps knotted the muscles in his arms and shoulders, causing him to twist in agony. When he could bear the searing pain no longer, he allowed his body to sag against the spikes in his hands. And the whole agonizing process of straining to breathe continued. The struggle continued until the ninth hour. Then at last, just as the darkness began to recede and a faint light could be seen, Jesus pushed up one last time on his throbbing feet and cried out, It is finished. Then he slowly exhaled. Jesus cried out, Adonai, into your hands I commit. My spirit. And then he breathed his last. Across the city in the temple courtyard, the mournful blast of a shofar could be heard signaling the beginning of Passover. The hour had come for the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. On Golgotha, soldiers pierced the side of the lamb of God, causing a rush of blood and water to flow down the altar of sacrifice outside the city walls, while inside the priest sliced the throat of the innocent Passover lamb. Both lambs breathed their last as their blood flowed freely. An innocent life to atone for sin, justice demanded it. And in the holy of holies in heaven, the, justice, the righteous judge of the universe witnessed The final drop of blood drained from the lifeless body of his only son. Satisfied, Jehovah made the proclamation that the shed blood was a sufficient atonement for sin. At that declaration, while it echoed across the heavenly realm, in the earthly temple, the six-foot-tall and four-inch-thick veil that covered the entrance to the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil was removed that had been a constant reminder of the sin that caused humanity to be unfit for the presence of Jehovah. Now a new and a glorious way was opened up for Adam's race to approach God with confidence and boldness, pardoned from their iniquities. In heaven's eyes, the price had been paid. However, the plan was not complete, not yet. Satan still had to be dealt with. His authority over mankind had to be broken. That battle would take place in the bowels of the earth. As the last gasping breath escaped from Jesus' cracked lips, his spirit slipped from his battered body. At that moment, the earth began to heave and pitch like the sea in the midst of a storm. The ground beneath Golgotha continued to shake, As dark creatures from hell filled the atmosphere like a swarm of blood-sucking insects. To them, the demise of the one called the Word was an unprecedented event to be celebrated. Angels who had shielded Jesus from demonic assaults were nowhere to be seen. And there was no evidence of the presence of Jehovah. Jesus seemed to be naked and vulnerable as he entered their realm. The satanic emissaries were jubilant The Son of God was at their mercy, and they would have no mercy. Jesus became aware that he had left his earthly body behind and moved into the domain of the Spirit. Demons were everywhere. They clutched at him with razor-like claws, mauling and yanking him downward. Directly in front of him, a hole opened on the earth's surface approximately 30 feet in diameter, He could feel a magnetic force sucking him toward the gaping abyss that he had no power to resist. The confidence so much a part of him on the earth now was replaced with a debilitating fear. The sins of the world embedded in his spirit had changed him from a powerful being to a trembling weakling. As he slipped over the edge of the precipice, Jesus plummeted down a tunnel for what seemed to be miles and miles. Through darkness, suffocating, and distinctively evil, the temperature became unbearably hot the further he descended. Finally, Jesus landed in what appeared to be a huge subterranean cavern. Walls that wrapped around on either side were covered with hundreds of hideous creatures. A putrid stench more revolting than rotten eggs and open sewer and rotting flesh, all mixed together, assaulted His nostrils, and in the distance, Jesus could see the flicker of flames from a raging inferno that dimly lit the interior of the cavern. Two grotesque beasts emerged from the darkness, towering over him some 10 to 13 feet high with large sunken-in eyes like red glowing embers. They gazed at Jesus with pure unrestrained hatred. Resembling reptiles in human form, they glared at Jesus like he was a fly, caught in a web, helpless and trapped. Some, son of God, you are, snarled one of them. You are nothing but a pathetic pile of sinful trash. Then the area became filled with beings of every despicable shape and size. Some were in the form of gigantic rats and huge spiders, at least three feet wide and two feet tall. All sizes of snakes and worms slithered underfoot. Each one was the very epitome of evil. There was no doubt this was hell. Then the torture began in earnest. Fiendish demons took sadistic pleasure in assaulting Jesus. The torment continued. Hopelessness gripped Jesus. So this is what it feels like to be lost for eternity. He could understand why Jehovah didn't want any of his creation to have to experience this horrible place. It had been created for Satan and his angels, but iniquity had created an entrance into this world for transgressors from the human race. Then just when Jesus felt that he could stand no more agony, the brutal torture began again. It was not just the physical anguish he had to endure, but the cruel mental assaults his tormentors bombarded him with. Where is your God now? They mocked. If he loved you, he would never have left you alone. You're a nothing. You're a nobody. You will never get out of here. This is your punishment for being such a wicked sinner. This is where you will spend eternity forever, forever, forever. Jesus clamped his hands over his ears to block out the hideous laughter, but to no avail, the taunts penetrated from every direction. Then unexpectedly, the atmosphere became deathly still. Abruptly, out of the murky shadow, a form materialized in the center of the cave, clothed in gaudy attire. There stood the fallen archangel, Satan himself, adversary to Jehovah and the human race. Satan's countenance was twisted into a grotesque mask, his fingers long and bony, were shaped like claws and his teeth hung like tarnished daggers from a gaping mouth frozen into an evil smirk. So, we meet again, loser. Jesus, a Satan thrust a twisted wand in Jesus' direction. Bring him to me, he ordered. The beast standing closest to Jesus seized him by the hair and hurled him through the air. Jesus crumbled in a heap at Satan's feet. Satan howled in fiendish glee. Not so high and mighty now I see. Satan kicked Jesus in the face with a hoofed foot. Defeat me? Never. Not a useless piece of flesh like you. Going to crush my head, were you? I don't think so. You are mine, and I will do with you as I please for as long as I wish, and there is nothing you can do to stop me. Placing one foot on Jesus' head, he cried, crowed, Now who is going to crush whose head? Satan jerked Jesus to his feet. Leering in his face, Satan waved a boiling, frothing cup of iniquity and death in Jesus' face. This, my pathetic opponent, gives me the legal right to rule over planet Earth. And now nothing can stop me from dominating the universe. Your plan has failed, Since you have drunk from this cup, you too, Jehovah's precious son, have become just like the others, a sinner under the sentence of death and subject to my authority. Coarse laughter filled the atmosphere. Satan and his demons were so busy celebrating, they failed to notice that a change was beginning to take place in Jesus. A shaft of light penetrated the deep Dense darkness of hell, and Jesus detected something happening inside his heart. Before, he had been squeezed and twisted with shame and condemnation. But now, at last, the massive burden of oppression was being lifted from him. Strength flowed once again into his inner being as Jesus experienced in the pit of hell cleansing from the dreadful effects of sin. Then he heard the voice of his father whisper in his ear, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Then Jesus remembered the scapegoat, the goat that carried the sins of the people into the wilderness. That was why he was in this horrible place. He had borne the iniquity of Adam's race into the bowels of the earth where it had originated. One man's trespass... "...had unleashed Satan's authority into the earth. Now, through one man, it had been won back. The scarlet cloth attached to the scapegoat had turned white. Justice required that the penalty for sin be paid only one time, not over and over as it had been in the past. The total payment for all sin was now complete." After a moment, Satan once again whirled around toward Jesus, intending to gloat, expecting to find him still cowering at his feet. But instead of reveling in triumph, Satan trembled when he caught sight of Jesus' face. Jesus stood before him poised and confident with no sign of abuse he had undergone. The glistening robe that clothed him was so brilliant that Satan had to turn his head away because of the pain caused by the intense light. In Jesus' hand, he held a beautiful scepter made of gold and crowned with sparkling jewels. Whoa, what, 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 is, what is happening? As Satan stumbled backwards, he glanced at the contents of the cup he was still holding. He screamed in horror at what he saw and hurled it to the floor. Instead of the evil brew of death and iniquity that had been there only moments before, now flowing from its depths was a fountain of blood, the blood. Of the Lamb. Jesus bent over and picked up the cup. Holding it up in triumph, Jesus' eyes flashed with righteous fire as he fixed his eyes squarely on Satan. I now hold the keys to death and hell. Waving the blood filled vessel in Satan's ashen face, he announced, I declare from now on and for as long as time exists. Anyone who believes in me, their names will be written in the Lamb's book of life, for they will be pardoned from their sins and henceforth receive the gift of righteousness. Satan recoiled as Jesus' voice thundered throughout Hades and into the entire spirit realm as he heralded the transfer of earth's authority. He notified Satan with great delight. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, shall reign over your kingdom forevermore. As those words pierced the darkness, the power of the Holy Spirit exploded in the pit of hell. Satan and every demon fell face down on the cavern floor as though dead. And for just one moment, Jesus placed his foot soundly on the serpent's head, then steadily ascended up the tunnel where 3 days before he had descended a filthy sinner impregnated with the sins of the world now he ascended a righteous man cleansed by the blood of the lamb resurrected to new life the firstborn of a new creation it has been our honor to offer this message today if you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the word of god We would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.